MCs and OC. Y'all know what it is. Welcome to the breakdown. This is where the game found analytics first down. And a few inches, your players on the benches. The coaches start to huddle when you need a thirst quencher. Oh, see, throwing hands, one a million in the squad. Lorenzo hit the league, 15 years on the job. Made the Pro Bowl twice. Your boy go nice. Zachariah on the fadeaway. Represent the day to day. Struggle and the grind. Keep that hustle on your mind. We ballin' on the court. Read the signs of our times, whether cultural or politic. Chopping up the lotto pick. Get it poppin' partner when we weaving in and out of it. It's on topic in sync. Tell you what we think. Let the thoughts link. Let the truth sink. Yeah, yeah. Let the thoughts link. Yeah, yeah. Let the truth sink. Welcome to the breakdown. This is where the game found analytics first. Two Z's and OC. Welcome to the breakdown. This is where the game found analytics first down. Okay, but like in general, do players just get free gear? Yeah, I mean, you got your equipment room that gives you stuff, but then you got to buy it if you go into the store. You might get a discount, but okay, they don't just give you jerseys and stuff to give to your family and friends and stuff like that. Nah, you got to buy all that, bro. Gotcha. All right, you ready to rock? Yep. Done with them chips? Oh, hold on, hold on. <laughs> I can filibuster. Yeah, I need a mute button. What kind of, what kind of chips you eating? Well, cassava chips. Cassava? What the hell kind of flavor is that? Healthy kind. Ah, that's why I don't know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. All right, let's do this. Coming down. Let me make sure I'm on my ish. You got your mic, all that good stuff? Yep. All right. Let's do it. Three, two, and one. Welcome on in your favorite podcast, 2Zs and OC, on Twitter at the number two, Z-S-A-N-D-O-C. It consists of yours truly, Zachariah. The, uh, how many years in the league again, Zo? Fifteen. Fifteen year nfl vet no wonder you retired lorenzo alexander he's at one man gang 79 and then oc who we misplaced again today we're going to try to get our schedules linked up so all three of us can be doing this but he's at real oc sports on twitter welcome on in zo how are you i'm doing great man had another great weekend you know kids out there balling had went two and oh for the household nice five six miles and mason who's a 10 he had a pick six had like three tubs playing he's playing flag football but it's fun to watch him and my kid miles also had a dk metcalf moment he actually did it before dk on saturday <laughs> he chased somebody down yeah he went and got somebody he was probably nice. probably like 20 yards behind him and went and got the kid I posted it, man, you know, on my Instagram, Lorenzo underscore John, and also on Twitter. So hopefully you guys check it out. Yeah, yeah, I'll check it out for sure. So wait, so what positions do they play? Because at this age, you play both sides, right? Yeah, yeah, and it's flag football. So, I mean, they play receiver, quarterback, whatever, wherever the coach lines them up, free safety. And so it's more about just learning the real basis of the game, you know, catching, throwing, quickness, agility, without taking all the hits that you would at this young of age. And so it's, I really enjoy it and really love it. But our plan is not to let my kids play tackle football until high school. Yeah, I was actually, I, let's start there before we get into week seven, because 
I was actually with my lady, you know, we've been talking about the future and kids and stuff like that. And she was saying that, you know, she wants our, you know, our future kids or whatever to play football. And I said, are you sure you want them to play football? Because I, she, I've gotten her to adapt to watching football with me on Sunday. Oh. She understands Sunday, Sunday is football day. So she watches it with me now and she'll see some hits and she'll go, whoa, why did he do that? And I'm like, honey, it's a, it's a violent sport. I mean, it, like, she's like, but he didn't have to do that. And I'm like, you don't get it. There's a fine line between a dirty play or hurting somebody or whatever. And it could be a clean play that looks really violent. And wow. so she's starting to rethink whether or not she would let our kids play football. And I'm just wondering for you playing as long as you did, and you know the dangers and you told us, you know, about a concussion that you had or whatever, but you're going to allow your kids to play, but you're just saying you're not tackle until later? Yeah, yeah. I want them to continue to develop their bodies. Um, obviously, you don't stop growing, especially as a young man, until 25. And so a couple of things, you know, trying to save their bodies from the additional hits and wears and tears that even though they're not having high collision hits, you still are hitting your head if you play line or interior line and when you make tackles. And that just saves them for, you know, college or league if they're, you know, fortunate enough to play that long and just saves their body so they don't have all that. And I think you can get a lot of the things that you're trying to teach at the Pop Warner level out of flag. And so I just think it's a better risk reward at that young age of what you get out of it versus what you're going to get out of playing contact football. Two, I'm going to let them play in high school. Obviously, that's the route that I took. And looking back, I'm glad my uncle did that. But it's more so uh, for me. I just finished playing 15 years, as we just talked about. And my son is 10, so he got 10 years of that. My other son is 6. He got 6 years of it. And so they got a chance to go in the locker rooms, go on the field, mm -hmm. travel the games with my wife, mm -hmm. come hang out with Jerry Hughes or Kyle Williams or Larry Fitzgerald, going to their house and mm -hmm. going to the locker rooms, all those things. So that's a part of who they are. They've had the ultimate fan experience. And so for me at this point, for them to watch daddy do something to help provide for them and also something they got to experience for themselves, I'm just not that heartless. You know, I couldn't say, no, you can't, because it's ingrained in them. I mean, my son, my six-year-old, will sit down and watch game film with me, drawing up plays. Wow. I mean, that and my, wow. my six-year-old just can't wait to play. He's, oh, he found out one of his friends was playing. He's like, daddy, I can't play tackle. No, man, play flag. We'll get there. So flag is allowing me to have that lead up time till high school, but it's ingrained. It's part of who they are. My thing as a parent is just to make sure that they're doing the things the safest way possible. Mm -hmm. You know, making sure going to practice, going to games and making sure coaches aren't doing stupid drills or having them do stupid things that don't make sense. And so you have to be involved as a parent. And if you don't have the wisdom about what it looks like, all you got to do is Google some of this stuff. Hey, you know, what are good drills or football one-on-one for dummies, you know, all yeah, those. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, or hit me up on Twitter and ask me, hey, should my son <laughs> join uh, Bull in the Ring um, you know, with these kids? No. Yeah. So yeah. there's so much resources out there for you to educate yourself, and that's what you have to do. Yeah, let me ask you one more question on this, and then we'll get into the games. Is there that much more danger? Because at one point, my lady was like, well, then I'll just have him be quarterback. And I'm like, uh, they can take some big hits too. <laughs> but but if is there a lot less inherent danger for the outside positions, wide receiver, cornerback, as opposed to the interior, which is much of what your career was? So it's different. You normally see the more egregious hits or more like all shocking hits outside, right? You know, a safety 
coming down or a receiver coming over the middle, a safety comes, cleans him mm-hmm. up, boom. Mm-hmm. A, a linebacker catching a running back out in the flats, a quarterback hangs him out to dry. Mm-hmm. Boom. Those hits obviously are like, ooh, I would never want to be able to do that. But actually, you know, based on studies, it's the repetitive hits that you get almost every single play as an interior player when we talk about offensive and defensive line. That, that don't stand out. Those those I, mini collisions every, every single play that doesn't stand every, out. Yeah. Every single play, every single play that over time leads to the things that we see, you know, with CTE and mm-hmm. having some of the concussion issue being more predisposed to getting a more significant or severe concussion later in your career, the longer that you endure those repetitive hits. And so one looks worse, but one is actually worse scientifically that they found, you know, with the interior linemen and how they play every single play. All right, well, let's get into week seven. And I want to start, this is a. This is going to be a weird place, so you're not going to expect me to start here, but I want to start here with the Atlanta Falcons, okay? Yeah. There has been three times this year, head coach, GM, fired, they're 1-6, and 0-4 at home. There has been three times this year, Zoe, where they have had a 99.99% chance of winning the game, and they've lost all three. <laughs> and I'm just like... I, I just want to ask you, have you ever been on a team where you just feel like you're cursed? Because if, if I was in that spot, I don't even know that I'd be mad. I'd just be like, there has to be some other powers that are making us lose games. That's hard to if you try to do it, it's hard to do. And then poor Todd Gurley accidentally scores a touchdown, and then Matt Stafford drives down and the Lions win. But have you ever been on just cursed teams before? No, nah, nothing like this. Nothing that crazy where you have it happen over and over and over again. I mean, three times. I mean, what are the odds of that happening? We've got to be like one in a billion chances of you having three, you know, <laughs> different events that happen. And the chances of them happening are 0.01% and they happen to you. Yeah. I, I just, I've just never been around it. I've been around some crazy things or, you know, a last minute touchdown score and we lose. But to happen in the same season within a set it's not even the whole season yet <laughs> in seven yeah, like games seven weeks happened to you uh no i've never been a part of that so it's just kind of fate right now playing itself out with the atlanta falcons well yeah i mean and not even to mention being up 28 to 3 in the super bowl i mean if you're a falcons fan at this point you're pulling hair out i just and this one was bad because i felt bad for Gurley because it wasn't like Gurley was dumb or the coach didn't tell him right His mo- his momentum just carried him into the end zone. He right. was tr- he was trying to stop at the one because all they had to do was run the clock and kick the field goal and they win. Right. Uh, but yeah, it's just crazy. If you're a Falcons fan, you got to be going nuts. I just watched that. And it was just like, I don't know. I feel at some point in the NFL, there's not so much of a rebuilding phase or whatever it is, but I feel like you have windows. And I almost feel like this with the Saints. I'm not sure if you agree, but I feel like they had so many times, obviously, that egregious non-call in the NFC Championship game, I think it was, or maybe it was the round before. Rams win. Yeah, that was a championship game. Okay, yeah. I, I feel like maybe even there, like the window is not very large and so I feel like Atlanta's probably at that point where it might just be time to, I don't know, trade Matt Ryan or do something, but like just start from scratch, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's always hard to trade a franchise quarterback because once you trade him, and it's not like you have somebody that you can just immediately throw in there and is going to replace him. Yeah. So I don't know if they do that. Maybe they blow up other pieces that are around him, and he has, mm. but he's going to have to be the guy that transitions them to that next phase and whoever that next quarterback in line may be because I don't know how much longer Matt is going to want to play. Obviously, quarterbacks can play into the 40s these days. but Or, or maybe he just stays on for him to blow it up, get things back together because he's still playing at a fairly high level. It doesn't look like he's deteriorating in any sense of 
athleticism and ability to play. No. You're right. They're going to have to blow it up, which they pretty much already have done with coaches because the new GM, the new coach come in, they're going to, most of the time, even if you are a good player, and you, if you're a free agent, nine times out of ten, unless they just really love you, you're probably going to be somewhere else next year because they're trying to bring in their own guys, trying to develop their own team the way they want to. And that's probably what's going to happen here. And obviously there's some pieces like a Matt Ryan, a Julio Jones that you just don't move away from because those are great veterans, great leaders that can help you make your cultural change as well as help younger guys understand how to be a pro. And so we'll see. But that's normally how it tends to happen when you do have a significant change in the administrative level when we're talking about GM and head coach. Yeah, yeah. It's just tough to gauge between do you keep doubling down, like adding a Todd Gurley, or like, you know, keep trying to move forward or pull back a little bit and then try to build back up with draft picks. But I, I mean, I, I hear you. I mean, you could do it around Matt Ryan, but then he's going to have to suffer a couple of hard years before they actually get to the point where they're contending again. Right. And, and when you look at a guy like Todd Gurley, that was Dan Quinn's decision to do, right? That was his idea. So whoever comes in, is going to have their own idea. And a lot of times what happens, unless it's like, you know, a John Gruden situation when he got to Tampa and they just had a team in place that was ready to win now. But I don't think the Atlanta Falcons are necessarily in that space just by the, you know, these last couple of years. Nine times out of 10, they're going to probably blow things up, move around and maybe try to change some of those little pieces that you may think they don't really matter and maybe try to catch lightning in the bottle but it will be their mindset will be more long term even though it may not seem it at first it'll be like little micro changes of getting guys out of there and moving forward yeah well i it just goes to show you how quickly things can change we talked about bill o'brien in the last cast you know, being up big over the Chiefs in the playoffs, and then all of a sudden he's fired, and you're Dan Quinn, you're up 28-3 to in the Super Bowl. If they had won that, how much things would be differently, and now he's out of a job. It's just, you know, the NFL is crazy. I mean, I guess in sports in general, stuff can just, you know, change like that. Yeah, it shifts quickly. I mean, I mean, you see it even with athletes. I mean, you see an athlete at the top of his game, and then two years later, it's like, man, this dude is out of the league. Where is he? What happened? You know what I mean? Yeah. It could be a various of reasons, but it's just yeah. that's how fast yeah. things switch. Well, and for sure. And I mean, I think it, had they won that Super Bowl, I believe that he would still be employed because the Super Bowl buys you a certain amount of time. But yeah, now, I mean, losing like this, if they would have won the Super Bowl and had the last two seasons, I I'm almost certain he would be gone. Oh, OK. So the Super Bowl, it, it doesn't matter if he would have won. It matters if you can continue to look like you know what you're doing or the team is still productive. So you're not going to get – it's hard to overcome a one-and-six start. What did they finish last year? I, don't, I mean, I, was it eight-and-eight? Eight? I think a little worse, seven-and-nine or six-and-ten. I'm not sure. You see what I'm saying? And so you, you're starting to see a decline. Yeah. Like, oh, well, we won the Super Bowl. What has happened? Have you gotten complacent? So maybe, maybe he would have got to the end of the year with winning that Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. But if you have last season and with this season, who knows where it's going to end up. You know, maybe it's one in 15. Who knows? Or if it's three and 13, I don't know if you overcome that, especially when they look at and evaluate the talent that's on that roster. And they say, well, you should be winning. Why aren't you? We've given you the pieces you've needed. Yeah. Um, So this was an unexpected, very good game in the great state of Ohio. I make fun of Ohio a lot. I've been doing it on air for a long time. I don't know why I call Cleveland Leveland because, you know, people like to leave Cleveland. Cleveland fans are crazy. I mean, I was in the Bay Area doing radio. 
and doing podcasts or whatever. And I would get Cleveland people hitting me up like, why are you even listening? I, mean, I guess there was probably the Warriors, Cavs, and how many times right, they played right. in the finals. But I always make fun of Cleveland. I call it Cleveland because I just don't think it's the greatest town in the world. Forgive me. God forgive me. I don't think. <laughs> Have you been there? Huh? Have you been there or lived there? No, neither. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just I'm going off reputation. Reputation and what people say. So if I said yeah. Buffalo, you probably think the same thing, right? No, Buffalo actually seems cool. Those crazy fans that jump on tables and like the fact that it's such a small I, I think I would like Buffalo. Yeah, sometimes you got to go experience something. That's why they give me a hard time. Cleveland, you know, from people that I've known that have actually ended up going there, said it was a be- much better city than what they thought. You know, obviously your expectations are really low, but yeah, they trying to be up and coming. They got a little something going on. Well, that's my thing. I think Cleveland wants to be like Chicago or New York or the Bay. And so I feel like they have this insecurity, like the redheaded stepchild, or I probably can't even say that in 2020. But you know what I'm saying? Like, they, they, they want to be a big city, and I just like to make fun of them and tell them they're not. But anyways, in the great state of Ohio, the browns Bengals game. So I felt like this was – you could talk about the game if you want. 37-34, Baker Mayfield – Drives the field, leads them back. Burrow, number one pick, had a good showing, obviously, as well. 35 of 47. I think he had over 400 yards and three touchdowns. But what I wanted to ask you is Odell leaves this game, and the news came out today that he tore his ACL. He's out for the year. It almost seemed like, and I want to know if you've ever seen this firsthand, it almost seemed like with OBJ not being in the game, like it almost freed him up and yeah. ma- made him look at everybody instead of focusing on just him, and it actually made the offense better. But, I mean, on the paper, you would never say the offense is better without OBJ. Correct, yeah, and I don't know what that phenomenon is, but I think analytics actually backs what you're saying. I think with OBJ on the field, I think uh, Baker's like in the 80s with him off the field. He shoots up like 20 points or so in 300. Yeah. I don't know if that's because they're so focused on trying to get him the ball and he wants the ball and what the coaches are saying, the type of plays they're designing, he's just trying to figure it out. And by the time he gets off of him, everybody's covered up or maybe he's getting sacked or getting rushed and he has to throw it in air and ball. And yeah, that can be a mental block for somebody. I mean, I don't think there's any secret that OBJ wasn't necessarily happy either. And so maybe that dynamic of him now being off the field or out of, you know, not within the presence of now I have to take care of him and I don't really feel what that relationship is. Maybe that frees up Baker, you know, and you can just now look at other people. But it's going to be interesting to see if he can do it for an extended period of time because at some point, nobody else on that roster has OBJ-type talent or ability because he's a a generational-type player, right? And I hate to see him get hurt. But now can you carry the workload of being the guy that defensive coordinators say we're going to take away because when, most of these games when you go in, OBJ is up, is going to be playing, and or you haven't decided to scheme versus some of these other if he might have been injured. Like, ah, oh, these guys are just okay. We don't have to do anything specific to stop them. Mm-hmm. Now that's going to be probably a little bit of a different mindset because somebody's going to rise up and be now the number one target for Baker Mayfield. Now, once they start taking away him and putting an emphasis maybe on the number two target, are those guys still going to be able to get open? Are they still going to be able to make the plays? Are they still going to be able to do things when OBJ was around, when they weren't being focused on, now that you have defensive coordinators game planning for you, and now you have an expectation to live up to each and every week? And that added pressure, I think, separates a lot of guys. And I'm not saying they're not going to be able to do it, but that's what I'll be looking for 
if they can continue as far as the receivers that are going to be replacing OBJ, can they handle that added pressure? Because people always look at it from the other side like, oh, I wish I was OBJ. Oh, I wish I was, you know, named Aaron Donald. Uh-huh. Can you handle those expectations and the pressure that, just, that teams are going to be trying to apply to you every single week? Those double teams? <laughs> yeah, everybody's not built for that. You yeah. know, everybody just, they want the glory, but don't know what the process and the grind is to achieve that and things that you have to overcome. And a lot of weight comes with being the number one dude. And so it'd be interesting to see how guys develop and can they handle all that and still go out there and perform. How much did you pick? the quarterback's brain. I would assume if I played the positions that you did, I would be picking more of like the offensive linemen's minds because I would want to know how I could get an advantage when I was going against other offensive linemen. But how often did you talk to the quarterback and just ask him about stuff? Because I'm going to ask you a question. I just want to know how much time you spent with them asking them how they went about their craft. Yeah, I definitely talked offensive linemen, especially my teammates, more about things I were doing, something I could work on. I would talk to quarterbacks, and this wasn't my quarterback, Guys that I knew that were cerebral and understood what I was trying to ask. And unfortunately, when I played with hires, every quarterback I, I played with, I didn't talk to, didn't ask. I, either they were young, didn't didn't quite know. And so it'd be guys that I felt that were um, in the game. So like a guy like Derek Anderson, when he was in Buffalo, I would talk to him a lot, even though he didn't have a, you know, a starter's year, a great year. He had some great years in there, and he was in the league because he was a great backup that could help educate young quarterbacks, how to be professional and be successful in this league. And so I would ask him because he was a great X's and O's guy. Talk to Matt Barkley a little bit, you know, really good X's and O's guys. Davis Webb, and these are just the last three quarterbacks that I played with that I believed had a great understanding of offenses. And so, yeah, I would ask him, you know, what are you looking at? What is telling you that I made blitz? You know, why are you looking me off? You know, some of the little integral things that's going to help me be in a position to maybe make a play. Yeah, I'm asking you that because I wonder when a quarterback drops back, Ideally, what you would want him to do is survey the field and just find the open guy, right? But I wonder how often if you have a Julio Jones or you have a DeAndre Hopkins or you have a OBJ like we're talking about, I wonder how often they drop back and just look at him hoping or wishing or thinking that he's going to be open and that's the guy that he should go to because he's the best wide receiver as opposed to just surveying the whole field and finding the open wide receiver. Right. So some guys always stare guys down. Some guys develop transition out of that where at least they can hold the middle field of the safety they know they're going over there but i'm gonna stare down this safety maybe and keep him honest so he can't get over there and maybe make a play on the ball or hit my receiver and then you have some guys that come in the league and then that are just natural at doing that and so you'll see a progression and we always have a breakdown of what quarterbacks do you know the db coach will get up there and do the passing game and be like this guy always stares down his guys he doesn't look <laughs> off the safeties yeah so he's looking at a guy he's gonna yeah. throw up on the ball you know hey this week we're playing Tom Brady you gotta yeah. play it honest you know and maybe some other tendencies that somebody else is doing that's going to tell you where he's going with the ball but you can't trust him because he's lying to you you have to it just depends on who the quarterback is yeah. some guys can do it some guys can't some guys try to do it and can't yeah <laughs> some guys just do it I'd love to be a fly on the wall in the meetings when you're going over quarterbacks or whatever and when you're in one week and you're saying this guy's really damn good be on your bleep and then the next week you're like this dude is shit don't trip he's gonna mess this up he's got all these different flaws I mean I'm sure the conversations definitely vary from team to team 
Yeah, most definitely. It, 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 it's definitely interesting what people really think, and then you hear him talk on the radio door. Uh, <laughs> talking now. something totally different. Awesome, man. He's just balling out. He makes all the throws. He can hit all the holes, you know, whatever whatever position it may be. He's just dominant. Yeah. <laughs> tearing it down all week about as far as who he was as a player. Yeah, I hate when coaches do that, when it's like, like when it's a terrible quarterback and they talk about how they need to be wary of him and how good he is and how we have to be on our P's and Q's or whatever. It's like, no, you don't. You know he's trash, and you know you said that all week long. Anyways, the game of the week, I believe, I think this was the first time, Zoe, since 2000 that two undefeated teams met this late in the year. Steelers and Titans both 5-0 and going into the game. The Steelers come out on top. Steelers were up big early. The Titans made a push late, and the Steelers ended up winning the game anyway. I'm just, I feel so bad for Tannehill. I mean, not just Tannehill. I feel bad for any quarterback who works that hard to make a comeback and do all this stuff and take these hits and make these throws, and then he has to watch a kicker sail a field goal, and you could just see his face. And even Big Ben was shocked. You could see, you could, you could see his lips on the sideline. He was like, he missed it. And then he goes, wow. You know what I mean? Like, so it, it could have been an overtime game, but instead of who it is, too, you know, yeah. and, you know, as far as his history. But he had issues earlier this year, too. Yep. Some field goals. Yeah, I mean, it's a struggle sometimes, but that's why you need all 53, including that kicker and yeah. punter and the long snapper in there, guys that yeah. tend are, you know, kind of ostracized because they're not football players as are, you know, hitting and grinding it out and yeah. you know, a game of attrition. But, yeah, hey, you need all those guys. I mean, I have so much respect for them because I know I can't do it, and everybody's not going to execute every single play. You wish they would. You hope they will. But sometimes it doesn't go down that way. And if you don't want to have to depend on that guy, put it in the end zone yourself. Yeah, stop no, that, the team. You know no, what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, no. I, I, so I don't ever feel bad for anybody. I hear you. Well, the thing about that game, like I told you, I got two TVs in the living room. I got one on the Red Zone channel, and then I pick – two games on the other TV that I flip back and forth with. So if it goes to commercial, I'll go to the other game, but there's like a main game that I want to watch. So I watched all of that. And what was funny about that game is early on as the Steelers were up at one point, 24 to seven, but at various points of that game, I watched it because the Titans are one of those teams though, where it's like, I know they have the parts. Tannehill's been phenomenal. I like their wide receiver core. Obviously, Derrick Henry's an MVP candidate. But they've always been a team where I don't quite believe. I would never bet on them in the playoffs. I would never have a feeling that they're going to win the Super Bowl. So when I was watching that game, I'm like, okay, this makes sense to me. The Steelers are an actual Super Bowl contender that I believe in. And the Titans are really, really good. But they're not like that level. But then by the end of it... yeah. My thought process changed. I Wasn't was like, Titans in the AFC Championship game last year. I don't. Yes, I they were. Oh, yes, they were. I mean, yeah. yeah, I mean, the team is good. They're yeah. a good team. They are. Um, they're not flashy. They mm-hmm. don't do it. I think it's more mainly because of their offense isn't like putting up these big passing numbers. Even though Tannehill is having a great year, just not the same. Like if you think about Seattle and Rodgers you know, how Dak was playing. So they don't yeah. get a lot of news. And it's a smaller market team, too. So mm-hmm. people, I don't know, when they look at it, it's not flash to them, but when you get out there, they play great football. Oh, um, man. The way they, they played, if they, they had played, played, first of all, Vrabel, right. possible coach of the year, he's phenomenal. He also said some weird stuff. He would cut his bleep off to win the Super Bowl. So he's like psycho if, yeah, in terms of winning. That's, that's <laughs> crazy stuff right there. They got yeah. still, but yeah. 
That's what I'm saying. The first half of that game, I'm like, okay, this makes sense. Second half of that game, I'm like, no, maybe the Titans really might be in this Chiefs-Steelers mix in terms of being an actual Super Bowl contender. I mean, they are. They, I mean, they play great defense. I mean, they, they're able to run the ball. And then because they're able to run the ball at a high clip, I mean, Tannehill is having a great year. And, I mean, he's really coming to his own since he's gotten there. Um, you know, getting his opportunity last year and really hasn't looked back. And so they're in this last, I don't know, what, 20 or so games to where they just playing at a very high rate and are continuing to get better. And I think, you know, Derrick Henry is the engine that makes it all go. And he's the guy that just wears on you, wears on you, wears on you. And so you well, that's what happens, though, as you're talking about the reason why that stuff started to happen in the second half is the Steelers obviously knew they had to stop him. But as the game went on, he wore the crap out of that defense. Yeah, he wears on you. And it wears on you. You get a little play action in there. Dude, bam. I mean, so they play great complimentary football. They're not going to beat themselves. They're going to play good sound football. They're going to be physical. And so when you walk away out of that game, you're going to be drained. They're going to take you to the, to the brink, and it's never going to be even to give up. And, and I remember we playing them last year, and we beat them. But one of my guys, one of the linebackers went in, and so I had to play a lot. But at the end of the game on the way back, man, I was just sick on the plane from just, like, being exhausted. And that's just what you feel like because you got to yeah. bring it to them every single play because they're going to compete, they're going to be physical, and it's going to be a four-quarter game. Do you like them defensively enough? Because offensively is the part that I'm not as worried about. But defensively, do you like them enough? Yeah, I mean, they're solid, solid, good, solid defense. I mean, okay. Ravens, like I said, they're going to be where they need to be. They don't really have a flashy piece out there where you can just say, okay, this dude is just a dog. But they play great sound football. And as long as you're doing your job, you're competing, and you understand the game plan, you understand what you got to do, but you understand what they have to do, you can make some plays. And then, obviously, turnovers is the ultimate equalizer. So if you can go out there, even if you're playing a Kansas City Chiefs or uh, any time of these high Seattle Seahawks, high-octane offenses – yeah, they're going to get their yards, they, but they get their yards on everybody. All you have to do is maybe get out there, make them get a field goal in the red zone, get a pick, um, and the game can change. And because they are such a well-coached football team, I'm always going to give them a shot to be able to do that. All right, let's touch briefly on this game. I don't really want to get that much into it. The Saints move to 4-2, and two, beat the Panthers that fall to 3-4, and 27-24. But this was a real cool moment. Teddy Bridgewater got tackled out of bounds. And he uh-huh. sat down. He sat down on the bench next to Breeze. And uh, what's old boy who somehow got paid more than backups are getting paid? And he's not even a uh, Tyson. Uh, what's his name? Number there's seven. A, yeah, number seven. The reason <laughs> there, there, there's a reason why you and I don't know his name. But anyways, it was uh-huh. it, it was a cool moment because that would be the quarterback room from right. last year when he backed up Breeze and he sat down and put his arms around both dudes. I thought that that was a cool moment. Do you ever have, did you ever have stuff like that on the sideline where you would cease to be your teammates? And they kind of ran out of bounds and did something like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. or you ran into them? No. I mean, I played against former teammates, but nothing like that, man. We used to have this guy on my team in Buffalo, though, uh, Preston Brown, and he's notorious for just talking trash. And So we've played against some guys that had went on, and maybe they would come to the sideline, you know, actually get knocked out. He said, "Oh yeah, yeah, that's why you just got your ass knocked out. Now get your ass out of here." You know, he would he would always chirp at him like <laughs> yeah. he didn't even know him, which yeah. was funnier to me than you know, kind of rapping all like yeah. a good, yeah type moment. So that was more probably a yeah. Time but you said, that. but Zoe, you said, I know you, I know you're a man of faith, but you said when you got on the football field, things were a little bit different. So did you chatter at the sidelines too? I, I never chatted at the sidelines when I ran on the sideline or anything like that. They would have to engage. I, I never was the aggressor. Okay. I was always clean. You'd hold your own, but you would not start I was, it. 
Yeah, I was I was cleaning up the matter, you know. That's yeah. the only time where I would ever really just talk trash, you know, and kind of uh, just get out of my character, if if we say, you know. And it it's been times like that in the game, you know. Who is we playing? Can't think of his name, but he was a great returner for the Ravens. He would end up in charges a year. I was in Oakland. He was good, and, you know. He had like this. I don't know. It might have been like a twenty yard return. It really wasn't like this great return. But he got up, was like, "Hey, you better check my resume." Better check my resume. <laughs> All that stuff, man. So next time you came down, I'll smack him. Yeah, check my resume. Check my resume. You know, so I would do stuff like that, but I would never hit him, get up, and then start talking trash to him without him having said something prior. Yeah, I got you. I got you. Yeah. If somebody says something, you're going to come back at him, but otherwise you'll leave it alone. I feel you. Yeah. All right, well, we have to do for all your, uh, what do they call it, Bill's Mafia? Of course. Okay, so Bills Mafia. For the Bills Mafia, we have to do our weekly Bills check-in. This was not a great week to be a big Josh Allen guy. They win 18-10, to but they played the pathetic Jets, who are 0-7. Now, I know divisional games tend to be closer than normal, but yeah. you if you're a Bills fan, you can't walk. I mean, you're 5-2. and two. But you can't walk out, uh, and and you're leading the AFC East. My fins are coming for you, by the way. So did I tell you I'm going to Miami this weekend? What to get COVID? <laughs> no, I'm gonna. No, I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be isolating my ass off. But I'm going to the Dolphins game. Oh yeah, you're going to get COVID, man. Miami <laughs> South Beach is crazy now. No, Hopefully I know, but I'm I'm staying away. Believe me. But no, I'm going to. I'm going to go see Tua's first game. I'm going to be there in the building oh, for, for my savior. So you're hoping that Tua is going to play like Burrow and Herbert. That's what you're. That's what you're hoping for. Better. Better. Yeah, he needs to be better than them too. There's that's- already articles coming out. Did the Dolphins make a mistake drafting Tua over Herbert? I don't want to see that stuff. Tua is my savior. He's going to be the next Dan Marino. He's except he's going to bring us a Super Bowl, unlike Marino. <laughs> right. Well, well, you know what? I think he's going to be good. I think he's going to be solid. But I mean. It- to throw a rookie quarterback out there, and we we have two that have been playing pretty well. These first couple of games, I don't know how good he'll be. He's gonna have some growing pains in there. Yeah. Well, also they don't have tape. They don't have a lot of tape on Herbert yet. I, I don't know how much you do. You put a lot of onus on that in terms of if you have tape on a guy, it makes a huge difference of how he plays. It does because you you start figuring out what he does well, what he doesn't do well, and then you can game plan accordingly and give him looks of what he struggles with. Yeah. And so, yeah, tape helps. I mean, you can come out there and surprise somebody. I really don't know nothing about you outside compete. And so that's what makes great, you know, good players, great players, be able to overcome when people are attacking your weaknesses. Because everybody mm-hmm. has them. Some have fewer than others. Or their weakness really, I mean, in the grand scheme, things may not be a weakness, and you, but you, you try to attack it. And uh, the great players are able to overcome that. Well, and then also, if you're a great player, once they make the adjustments from what they've seen, you make the adjustments on top of that. Because you saw Baker Mayfield came out, you know, I think he won, what did he win, like six of the the last seven games that he played when he became the starting quarterback. And then he kind of fell back. Maybe that was because of tape. But then you make adjustments on top of their adjustments. I mean, the whole thing is just making adjustments. Yep, adjustments and growth, yep. So, yeah, so we'll see about Tua. You know, I'm I'm excited to watch him. I might have to throw a... A Miami Dolphins game on and check him out. Oh, yeah, for sure. I, I think a lot of people are going to at least tune in, I mean, just from his fame at Alabama. But we'll see. I'll be live in the building, and I'll be feeling myself wearing my Dan Marino jersey because, Zoe, I can't tell you how many jerseys I've bought between Marino and now, and i basically thrown them all in the trash because nobody's been good since Marino. Well, I haven't 
Tua jersey. Oh, I'm gonna. Well, I, I gotta. I gotta let it play out. I gotta. Oh, I gotta. Wow. <laughs> so you have to be bought in. You wait. He has to do something for you. Oh, wow. Well, look. I got burnt by Tannehill, who somehow became great once he went to Tennessee, but was not good in Miami. I got burnt by Chad Henney, Chad Pennington. How many? I mean, how, they've had like 20 quarterbacks since Dan Marino, and they have all failed me miserably. So hopefully Tua is the savior that I'm hoping he's going to be. But getting back to the Bills game, what did you make of that sloppy 18 to 10 mess? It's a W. That's all that matters at the end of the okay. day. Okay. All right. solid. Gave, only gave up 10 points, didn't, didn't really let him get off too crazy in the run game. Jerry Hughes balled out. Thought Cole Beasley was another dog out there catching everything. I think he gets overshadowed a lot of times by, obviously, what Stephon Diggs is able to do. But hopefully, yeah, he, he had 11 yeah. catches for a buck 12. Yeah, 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 I know. I mean, the dude is a dog. I think sometimes Stephon Diggs may have the same effect that OBJ may have to Baker Mayfield that he has on Josh. Like, he's looking to get the ball to Stephon Diggs, which is really? great. But I think Cole and some of these other guys, especially Cole, I think he's kind of been forgotten in some of these games, and he kind of gets quiet, but he's always open. At least I've never seen him covered. Hmm. And so just being able to work through your progressions and get the ball. So it was really good to see Cole ball out. The issue was we couldn't – or the we – the Bills couldn't. <laughs> still working on it. Yeah, so you gotta get you gotta get your media game on. You gotta you gotta switch that thing. It's gonna be a while before I stop saying we, but yeah. uh, most of the time I'm good at it. The Bills had to kick field goals. That and that was a big difference. I mean, this game could have easily been out of hand if they had a better red uh, red zone percentage. But this game was never in question at all. And my thought process the whole week, because it was a divisional game, I didn't think they would blow them out. I thought it would be more like a twenty-four. 10, which if the kicker, the Bills kicker, makes both his kicks, I'm right on pace. They dominate the line of scrimmage. They 24-10, get a dub. Was it pretty? No, but I think it was more because of the field goals versus touchdowns aspect. But that's what you want to do. You want to just be able to win a game, learn in a win versus learning in a loss, and then move over to the next week. And they have the Patriots this week. So uh, it's good to get the win and now go and and, and, uh, face the Division 4. Down 10-6 to at halftime, and I just wondered – as a player, if you walk out of a game of a team as miserable as the Jets, now 0-7, 0-4 at home, do you walk out of that game and go, I know you said a W is a W, but do you walk out of that going, man, we should have won by way more, like this was actually a bad win, or well, it doesn't matter? The offense may say that as far as scoring touchdowns and you know you work your way down to field goal range, so obviously you're moving the ball. That's true. Um, and so what are you doing that's preventing you from now executing in the red zone? The red zone. Obviously, the field shrinks. And so what are teams doing to you or what did the Jets do to you to not allow you to get in the end zone? And so you have to make those corrections. Maybe with some guys open. Maybe it only takes one guy. Maybe the alignment didn't get his block and the route came open, and, but Josh was running and couldn't see him. And so there's a lot of different aspects that you have to go back and say, yeah, we should have had more. But at the end of the day, I, I don't care if it was a 11 to 10. They beat him. And that's what you want to do at the end of the day. And from a defensive perspective, after giving up, you know, 250 yards and I don't know how many points to hold a team, and I don't care what team it is, to I think they gave up four yards of offense in the second half. That's a dominant performance. I mean, this yeah. is an NFL team. I don't care how weak they are. I don't yeah. care yeah. who's out there. Yeah. Four yards? Yeah. Offense? That's a dominant performance. And so, yeah, it wasn't pretty collectively when you watch it, but I take away they won, which you want to see the defense start to step up and get to where the expectations were set at the beginning of the year as far as being a top five, and they're starting moving in that right direction. 
And now you just have to figure out, after having two bad weeks of offense, now you're moving the ball. Now how can we get the ball into the end zone? And a lot of those self-inflicted penalties, you know, a lack of execution, things that are correctable. It's not, it's not like a talent issue where you have to go out and try to find somebody which you wouldn't be able to do in the middle of the year. Moving on to the Cowboys. Wow. Get this, though. They were favored by three, and they only scored three points. They lose 25-3 to three to the Washington football team, former team of Zoe's. They dropped to 2-5, and 0-3 oh on the road. And after the game, Mike McCarthy had some words saying, basically, something's up here. I don't know how he didn't know that before, but he knows now. Something's up here. Something's got to change, blah, 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 blah. Jerry Jones goes on the radio and says that he doesn't feel like there's a lack of leadership in the locker room. And they had, obviously, Jason Garrett for, it was either nine years or a full-blown damn decade. And then they go on the coaching search. They only interviewed two coaches, though, Marvin Lewis and McCarthy, and they end up settling on McCarthy. I'm just wondering, when you look at that, how often is he the reason whether or not a locker room is united or divided? How important is that guy? To me, I would think, because I... Significantly. Okay, Okay, but hang on. I've had terrible coaches before. It didn't change whether or not I was trying on the court or on the field or whatever. To me, like, the team was always more important than the coach. The coach... The coach was important for me in terms of drawing up the X's and O's, when to call a timeout, who to sub in and out, stuff like that. But in yeah. terms of uh, in terms of the actual playing, it was all about the team, the squad. Like what I've had bad chemistry with guys and we didn't play well together. So you know what I'm saying? Like I I you saying I think majority of guys are like that, but you do have some you know normally it's, normally it's your your higher paid earners who don't necessarily feel that same way. So if they view a coach as not being for them, somebody that's lied to them, somebody that's done something that was a little, I don't know about that. Or or if they're too strict or if, or, or if they're too lax or if they're too yeah, lax. It's, it's a lot of different things. And I don't know what the situation is there. Or if you have a coach that you don't believe is putting in enough effort himself. So you're like, why am I going to lay myself out there and risk it out there for you? know you? And I, But when I watch the, the Cowboys, it's not like it's maybe they're packing it in. I mean, when I watched the Arizona game last week, I didn't feel that. It just felt like they just weren't executing. They weren't good enough. They weren't prepared to do anything, especially defensively. But there's no no excuse for how they responded, especially the guys on the field. I can get guys that were on the sideline not wanting to come off the bench and get fired. You're talking about when Dalton got, get when, Dalton when got, Dalton hit. got hit? Yeah. Right. But guys on that field, especially offensive linemen, that dude that was on the field would have been getting jacked up just regardless. And Bostic, you know, I don't think he meant to do it. Just watching him play, he's not a dirty player. But he hit a guy like that. But And so at that point in time, I'm not trying to figure out your intentions. I just know you just hurt my dude and you hit him in the head and, and that's uncalled for. So I'm going to at least, the very least, I'm going to grab you and let you know that this is un. This is not this is not what's going down today, right? Yep, yep. So that shocked me more than anything, because to your point, yeah, I may not want to play for that coach because yeah. I, the coach is gonna get the credit. But when I see one of my guys that I respect, and there's no reason for me to believe they don't respect Andy Dalton, just knowing the type of dude he is, I'm about to amp this thing up. And so um, that's that's what was concerning to me. And so for me, it is a lack of sh- leadership in the locker room. And that includes the coaches, too, includes all of them, Um, because the environment that has been created, which is normally done by the head coach and then his assistants and then the leaders in that locker room kind of fall in line with that 
mentality or culture or environment, whatever you want to call it. So it does start in the locker room, but it's at the head coach, not the players. And that's just because of the, the, the way, the structure or power structure that you have within the locker room. So there's something that he's doing or not teaching or assuming that's way off basis. And so for, and, and to go back to your point, Jerry Jones is to be honest with himself. Did I bring the best person in here to lead my football team? <laughs> or did I just pick one of my homeboys that's been in the league forever? Because both those coaches have been in the league forever. That I think that's a good coach, but I'm not going to really do a real search. I'm just going to hire one of my, my other boys and then allow him to do what he does. And so you have to identify the problem. And I, for me, I would say, you know, McCarthy should be out. I mean, because obviously his guys aren't responding to whatever he's doing. Because um, this uh, this football team is just bad, and they've had injuries, but defensively, I mean, it's just it's horrid. Yeah. It's, it's bomb well, Baghdad. Yeah, I mean, the way that I look at it is, and I hear what you're saying. the The coach predicates what goes down structurally in the organization, so I can understand how he can have a bad effect on it. But I also think as players. You have pride playing on the field. And so for me, if I'm Jerry Jones, not only am I changing the coach because he hasn't been able to get this put together, I'm changing a lot of the player personnel because those guys are not a unit that give a damn that are coming together and winning despite having a bad coach. I'm doing both. But you only can do that for so much. And so most of the guys that get caught up in that are lower tier guys because you can't move Amari Cooper. Let's say you identified him as a guy, right? You There's no way. Amari There's Cooper. no way. I know Amari Cooper. There's no way he's but one of those guys. I, but what I'm saying is, he's I, like I, Harrison I play, Barnes. I played with, play with Amari, so I know what time. I'm just saying, for example. So okay. You, I mean, if it's a guy like that that okay. has a contract, I'm not saying it is. Okay. Let's get this clear. You can't just because you talked about I'm moving coaches and players. You can't just move players like that. You can't move players are sometimes harder because of the contract. Let's call it Judy. Let's call it. Let's call it Judy, the first round wide receiver that they picked. Let's say it's him. Okay, or Judy, if that makes you feel better. I mean, yeah. well, I just, I just know for a fact that Amari doesn't have it in his body to be like a cancer in the locker room or not listen to the coach or do whatever. Yeah, we're, it's a hypothetical. Okay, so I got you. I got you. Obviously, you're best friends with Amari Cooper. So <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. All right. It's a hypothetical. All okay. Right. All right. <laughs> So but, yeah, I, I know what you're saying. He's got a fat contract. I mean, and, they, and like they could it. trade him, though. Yeah, but who's going to pick up the contract? So you have a, lot of guys, a lot of guys would want Amari at that oh, number. Listen, who, okay. who? What? A lot of teams that need a wide receiver would like him at that number, the number that he's making. What is it, $20 million a year? There's a lot of teams that would trade for Amari Cooper right oh, now. Name them. Name them, knowing that next year is uh, 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 COVID, so the salary cap could be 175 uh, I've got I've, I've got to look at I've got to look at rosters and see. What, and what the, are you talking like? It's like just so easy. I no, mean, but I'm saying I a team out there. I'd have to identify a team that is really good that needs a wide receiver. That's who would trade for Amari Cooper. And then tell me what their cap situation is, and then what picks they're going to give up, and players are going to give up to make that transition. So it's not like oh Madden, I want him click override the trade button and make it work. I mean, yeah, a lot of people would love Amari Cooper, but there's more that makes the deal work in the no, trade. I know. I got you. I got you. Chris, back to my point <laughs> is, is that you can't just move guys that easily, as I just kind of just said, depending yeah, yeah, on who yeah. it is. And so the people that need to make sure that they are and they don't become one of those guys, guys that come from the, the way I came up through the league, 
whether you're practice squad, lower draft pick, maybe undrafted, maybe a slightly above minimum guy, a glue guy, you need to, and I'm pretty sure most of them are, they're out there trying to play as hard as they can um, to make sure that when people turn this film on, they know that Dallas is a train wreck right now, but the way I'm playing and competing, you would think we were undefeated. And so um, that's what those guys have to do because there, is, there, there will be change. There's going to be significant change, and it's normally – happens to those guys as I said if you start messing around and you're not really a solidified player or you think because you hanging out with Amari Cooper or Jerry Judy and that y'all good and you never see and you think y'all boys and you cool because you you hanging with them you you better watch out because you might be on another team or maybe out of the league if you're not going out to compete because reality check you aren't them you can't yeah. be you are uh, expendable based on your contract and the value you bring to a football team it's just crazy how much coverage they get as a two and five team. Like, if all of this same stuff was going down in Buffalo, nobody would be talking about it. They still talk about the Cowboys as if they're America's team. They haven't won a Super Bowl in forever. And it's just, it's a total well, yeah, shit yeah. show well, down there. That's Jerry Jones at the finals. He's the ultimate marketer. He doesn't, if, if, if I'm going to give Jerry any credit, I mean, he knows how to make money. That, yes. That's all he thinks about. Yeah. So he has yeah. the most creative ways. And he's, you know, deemed them the America's team. And that's why they get so much coverage and he knows everybody already, ESPN and all that. He's part of the CEC. So there's a reason why, because uh, he, he engages that side of the business probably more than any other owner. Well, he's, he's got, he's got a aggressive about it. crazy amount of charisma. And I got to be honest, I don't like the Cowboys at all, but I am rooting for him to get one before he dies. No. I, feel like, I feel like if they win one, he's going to die quickly after. You know how like uh, when people retire, they die no, soon no. after or – there's like birds that mate for life, and when their mate dies, they die quickly after. I feel like if he wins, I don't mean to be morbid, but I feel like if he does win one, he's going to die soon thereafter. But I am rooting for it. I want them to win one. I don't know why, and it's just because Jerry's so charismatic. I guess. we, we have How your- about them Cowboys? <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on. Uh, I just want to – these are the only sentences I have about this game. Aaron Rodgers is back to being amazing, and I feel really bad for Deshaun Watson. I think Deshaun Watson is a phenomenal quarterback – I think he makes plays. He's almost he should be getting as much recognition as Patrick Mahomes gets, in my opinion. I don't think he's quite as good. It's like well, he just, was until they gave away his best offensive weapon. Exactly. I mean, I mean <laughs> what you want? And he's still doing it. Threw for over three hundred yards. Uh, Packers beat up on the Texans, thirty-five twenty. All right, let's get to the Bay Area as we do. I love when this happens because I hate. Okay, riddle me this, Zoe. Why do they put like? 10, 10 a.m. games on the West Coast in California. 10, 10, 10 a.m. games and then three 1 p.m. games. Why wouldn't you do six 10 a.m. games and six 1 p.m. games? Why do they make it so lopsided? Yeah, I don't know why because everybody plays at 1 o'clock traditionally in the NFL. Those are all the games. And then your primetime games, which I think is more of a business side of football, those games cost more. Because ah. you're going to eyes on the TV. So the, the less people, that people are at church, CBS, ABC, yeah. less people are at church, depending on where you're at, you're going to yeah. have more eyes on those games. So more kids have games. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So you have to carry those football games. And that's why you, those are normally like the game type yeah. games or the Sunday yeah. night game from a, a from a marketing sales perspective. The NFL charges whoever has it that week more, more for the ads because more there's less it. competition. Yeah. Yeah. I, so I can't believe it. This is why I like doing stuff with you, Zoe, because you're cerebral. You answer my question that I have been thinking about for about a decade in, a, in yeah. 30 seconds. But, yeah. Great, man. If you ever just, just start 
with the money. If you if, there, if you <laughs> ever not quite sure, just think about it from a financial perspective. My, my dad told <laughs> you're gonna be going down at least the right path. Yeah, my my dad told me that. He's like, if there's ever a problem or you're ever trying to figure something out, go to the money. It's yeah. all about the money. Okay, so for the Bay Area, the Buccaneers, this game was not as lopsided as it looked when it ended. 45-20. Tom Brady, all of I mean, the throws that he's making, and it's not just, I mean, I was remember when I was questioning his arm when he threw the pick six against the Saints? His arm strength looks like he's 20 years old. The Buccaneers beat up on the Raiders again. It, it, it was a lot closer than 45 to 20. But did you watch any of that game, or did you have any takeaways from that? Um, I didn't watch too much of it. That might have been one of the games I end up turning off. I wanted to see how they were going to do, and they got up on them pretty quickly. And so I just switched to a different game. It's Tom Brady. I mean, he's hitting on all cylinders, and it's hard to beat that team. And let's not forget about that defense. That defense how good is that defense, though? People have underlooked it, but I know, you know, again, I think I've referenced this before. Todd Bowles, he's a he's a really good, great, I would probably even say great, defensive coordinator. He does an excellent job of putting the pieces that he has in places to make plays. And so whether that's drawing up different blitzes or schemes or just how he just builds his depth chart of where he puts you, he, he's going to put you in a position to be successful. And then he's, he's aggressive, and he's a former player, and I think guys just – gravitate to that mentality and so Todd Bowles doesn't get enough credit and probably should be getting another opportunity to be a head coach in this league too yeah because again and I think I've said this before I don't think the Bucks defense got as much credit as it should have last year because Jameis was throwing so many picks it probably put them in a bad spot but now they've got Brady who's going to be a lot smarter about not turning the ball over and so now they can really shine getting better field position and obviously we know about all the weapons and now they're adding Antonio Brown I hate Tom Brady and I do not want him to get a seven Super Bowl but good God they're looking like they're going to run the NFC possibly we, you know we'll definitely see I mean I think their defense the way they're playing gives them the upper hand on some NFC teams but it's going to be interesting to see how, you know, obviously how the Packers continue to evolve. Seattle's going to still be in, be in the mix, but their defense is a little uh, shoddy. And, I mean, even like Kyler Murray. So it's going to, I don't think it's going to be as easy as we may think it's going to be, but there's some other teams in the NFC that's going to maybe give them a run for the money. And I'm still not counting out the Niners either yet. Oh, do, yeah. So they playing some physical football. And We're going to get to them. The team, if you can play physical and get to time, you can disrupt him, you know. And yeah. You can look at the Super Bowl that he's lost. He was physically beaten up and just yep. thrown off rhythm. So there's some teams out there that have players, the Rams is too, because their defense is good, yep. that can compete with them because they can impact Tom Brady from a pass rush standpoint. Yeah, no, that's a great point. When you look at Tom Brady's losses historically, it's from teams that – disrupted him and threw him off of his rhythm. But yesterday, the Raiders did not do it. Right, they have a lot of sacks. I think they have maybe like six or seven sacks going into that game. I mean, I think they're at the bottom of the league. So if Tom can sit back there and just hang out and chill and do his little <laughs> shuffle step, he's going to eat you up. <laughs> it just is what yeah. it is. I think maybe, and I don't mean to stick a knife in the Raiders' back, but I think maybe Khalil Mack might have helped yesterday. But Tom Brady goes 33 of 45 for 369 yards, four TDs. And Derek Carr again showed me that when everything looks good, he looks like one of the best quarterbacks in the league. But he does not have the Patrick Mahomes ability 
to when stuff breaks down to wait for wide receivers to get open or move or the DBs to lose their coverage. He just, as soon as there's pressure or if everybody's locked up, it's just a loss down. It's either thrown in the dirt or thrown away or he's taking a sack. He just does not have the ability unless everything is perfect. And again, when it's perfect, he throws a great deep ball. He throws a beautiful spiral. He will hit guys in stride. He looks great when things are going great. But when they're not, he just does not have the ability. And I think the great quarterbacks can move up in the pocket a little bit, shift to the left or the right, and make a play. Well, you're talking about most quarterbacks in the league don't have that ability. I mean, that's why they do it or special. And even Tom Brady to us, I mean, he, he's not going to get out the pocket and run and not, not do none of that. But he has great pocket awareness, and, and, and does, he's like a, ma- a magician within the pocket. So he's stepping up, sidestepping, and still being able to keep his eyes down the field and find people late. And that ability is, is hard to obtain if you don't naturally have it. I, I, and I think D was – and I say D as DC was uh, – and Carr was doing this when he was up for like MVP of the year and having that really good year. But after the injury, he hasn't been able to find that just that mojo again as far as being able to extend plays or make things look better than what they were um, based on what's around him. But the only of the elite ones are able to do it, and that's why they're elite for a reason. That's why we always talk about that top-tier guys because they are able to do it because of the athletes around on the defensive side getting after them. You have to be able to do it. Yeah, and that's why there's so few elite quarterbacks. And I just I think Carr is very good. I think you've said something to that effect. Very good, but just not elite. Uh, moving on, the Chiefs beat the dog. Speaking of elite, uh, Patrick Mahomes, they beat the dog piss out of the Broncos 43-16. to We can just move on from there. The yeah, Broncos. There's one thing on that real quick. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Like my son, my six-year-old, he, he loves football. I told you he's, he wants to watch film, tape, yeah. he knows all the yeah. players, jersey numbers. So, so he was trying to figure out who won the games over the weekend. He's like, Daddy, can I have your phone? It's like, for what? I want to check the games. He's like, I want to know who the Chiefs, if who won out of the Chiefs and the Broncos, me and my daughter at the same time. And I didn't even watch the game. Chiefs. <laughs> it, was, it was just, it was no, it was no. You didn't even know? You didn't even know? <laughs> I, I didn't know, but I knew who won the game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Chiefs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's go back to what you were talking about with the Niners. They beat the Patriots 33-6. to We talked a little bit about COVID and preparation and how much that factors into Cam Newton's performance obviously had to miss a game because he was diagnosed with it. And just in general, the team, everything was disrupted, but they lose 33 to six. Cam Newton just didn't look good. His footwork wasn't good. His timing wasn't good. His passes weren't good. Nothing was good. Nothing was working for them. But you were talking about how the Niners are playing physical football. Now I wrote the Niners off early on in the year. I mean, once I saw Bosa go down, Solomon, I mean, all the injuries that they've had, Garoppolo was hurt at one point, the running backs have been hurt, wide receipt, now Debo's out for a couple of weeks with a hamstring, but what you're talking about, when I watched that game, it wasn't so much the result, 33-6, to okay, whatever, it's just one game, they beat the Pats on the road, that's a good feat, but it wasn't just the game and the result, it was the actual style of play and what you're talking about, about being physical. I think that the Niners obviously getting to the Super Bowl last year, I think that they could be in the mix in the NFC. It's going to be hard because you talked about how good the division is with Seattle and Arizona and St. Louis. All four of those teams. Yeah, it's a real tough division, but they did expand the playoffs. And I just think what you're talking about, a physical style of play wins, especially in the playoffs, and it might be too early to write them off. Yeah, it is too early. And, and you know, they, getting injured is, is one thing. It's, it's more about timing. And so it's really good that 
from the Niners' perspective, that they suffered a lot of injuries early. So as they had to play with some backup, they got experience, getting healthy, can get back to being that physical style team, run the ball, play great defense. Those teams are going to be able to make noise the later it gets in the in, in the year, especially with that physicality, because teams get beat up. And if you got a team that you got to now, and I got to play against who? Man, he's going to be physical all game. The same type of thought process when you got to play Derrick Henry. You know, the later in the year, man, we got to play the man. That dude going to be running down here all day. So it, it it matters if you can run the ball, which obviously the Niners can, and they amazing play, shit. And they play physical. So they're yeah. always going to give them opportunities to make some plays and, and be able to control the game. And so, yeah, don't write them off because they are the reason why the NFC West is one of the best divisions in football is because of their caliber and the way they play, regardless who's out there. I think, you know, obviously Kyle has done a great job of creating that culture. So when you have these other pieces, as you mentioned, Bosa and Sam and Solomon go down, they have guys that are willing to step up. Yeah, they won't be that caliber of player, but you're still going to get the in- – intensity and the physicality needed to go out there and execute what they've been asking those guys to do. Yeah. And you know, the defensive coordinator, he, he's obviously, I mean, I think he's going to get a head coaching job soon. And the way that Shanahan schemes the run game is unparalleled in my opinion, in terms of when he moves guys and how he shifts guys along the line and stuff like that. But just in general, it was just a team where I'm like, that's too many injuries they're not going to be able to this revenge. They have a hashtag revenge tour because they want to get back to the Super Bowl and win it. I thought it was over, but now I think the window's back open. All right, real quickly here, we're going to rapid fire to wrap this up. Chargers over the Jaguars, 39-29. I just want to ask you about Herbert. I don't want to say he was controversial, but there was definitely varying opinions on what he was going to be when he was coming out. What did you think about him at Oregon, and what have you seen from him thus far in the NFL? Yeah, I didn't watch a lot of, obviously, college ball. I'm, I was playing, and so um, I heard some things similar to what you're saying, guys being up and down. And I always defer to people that are in the business. And so Jordan Palmer, who's Carson Palmer's brother, is a quarterback guru, trains all these guys, have, was very familiar with Herbert, was very high on him, thought he was great, thought he could you know, make that transition and be a guy that could be dominant, and actually thought he would probably end up taking the, the starting job from Tyrod earlier. But because we didn't have – um, a traditional offseason and training mm-hmm. camp. Mm-hmm. Uh, Anthony went, went in, a, in a different direction. So I am not surprised at his early success based on just knowing Jordan Palmer's opinion of him. Okay. All right. Uh, then we'll move on to your current residence, Arizona. Shout out to my Phoenix Suns. They, uh, the Cardinals go to 5-2, and two, beat the Seahawks in OT 37-34. My biggest takeaway from this was the Cardinals are – Definitely better than I thought. You were on them early. I don't know if it's because you got inside info or they're in your backyard or whatever it is, but you were on them early. They're definitely better than I thought, but I was just more shocked. Russell Wilson, you don't see many times when he throws three picks, and I think if he took care of the ball better, the Seahawks probably would have won that game. Yeah, and one of the picks was weird. He kind of overthrew DK, and so I didn't know if DK broke the route off or didn't go. It was weird. And another time, they confused him. I don't know if he thought it was going to be Max Blitz or not, but they all got up on the line, and they ran this early where they sacked him. And they ran the same exact Blitz, and guys dropped out. And I don't know, and the receiver, he threw it like he thought the receiver was going to be on a hot route, but his receiver kept running. And so it was an easy interception, which ultimately ended the game for him. So, yeah, if he does better – as far as not throwing those interceptions, I think they win the game. But 
as far as the Cardinals, they are they're rising, they're getting better. Five and two, Zoe. Five and two. Yeah, I still got to see a little bit more. I'm always weary of the Cardinals' defense. Still, I mean, they destroy the Cowboys, but then obviously versus Russell Wilson, the Seahawks, they give up a ton of yards. I think it was over a thousand yards in this <laughs> game, given up by the defenses collectively. Yeah. Um, so that always, I have to kind of pause a little bit. Even though I think they're good, I think they're getting better. I just want to see the the consistency of giving up the big play and giving up all these points and not making teams kick field goals. So we'll see. I still like them, but because they had those couple of stutter points with the Panthers they lost to, and I can't think it was one other team, I'm a little bit more hesitant than I was at the beginning of the year. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a perfect way to put it. Essentially, yeah, they lost to the Panthers and they lost to the Lions. The Lions. The Lions is a bad loss. But, yeah, I mean, I I think that's a perfect way to put it. I think that they're good enough to be in the mix, but I'm with you. There still needs to be some pieces either put in place or just them hemming some stuff up in order for them to get to the point where you're talking about them with Seattle or Green Bay or whatever else. Okay, the last game. Monday Night Football, Bears and Rams. I thought about you watching this game, so I don't want you to take that the wrong way, but I thought about you because this was a defensive game, and this was like you don't see many of these nowadays because of all the rule changes and blah, 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 but it was 10-3 to with eight minutes to go in the third. It ends up being 24-10, to the Rams over the Bears. Last week, the Rams lost to the Niners. Donald came out, said that the team was soft. And boy, did they respond. You look at Foles, who came in and replaced Trubisky. He was under pressure on 45% of his dropbacks. And this was just, to me, this was just a throwback game. And I just, I I thought of you because I'm watching Mac and I'm watching Donald. And it's just, this is like a defensive line dominating the offensive line game. Yeah, they got after it. I mean, obviously, when you talk about those two players, I mean, those are Hall of Fame caliber players just dominating the game and really impacted the game in a lot of ways where they weren't even actually the ones making the plays. And so I'm pretty sure you remember that they highlighted, the announcers did this a couple of times, where the offensive line actually slid away from where the numbers were, where the linebacker up. Normally you would point out the linebacker and the center would go to where the linebacker was. They were mm-hmm. Aaron Donald was on one side. They were always sliding to Aaron Donald to yeah. make sure that he didn't kill the game. And a couple of times that put him in a position where the blitz got home, where they probably could have picked it up if they were IDing the linebacker instead of him. And so those are the cool things that I like to see. That's when you know a player is really dominant, where it's three on one side, two on the other. And that dominant players on the two-man side, or oh, we got to slide to him, or he going to get there. We know he – hopefully he doesn't come, or because he's deeper, the quarterback can get rid of the ball. Yeah. So, yeah, and then you saw Khalil Mack just throwing cats around, just doing what he does, getting the ball out, uh, just being dominant all game. So, yeah, you know, I loved it from start to finish and really watching those guys just uh, go out there and do what they love and just perfecting their craft. How much more different is it? Edge rushers get paid more because they affect – you know, what you can affect the quarterback easier, they, edge, right? Yeah, they get more sacks, and so Khalil Max on the edge. Obviously, he's dominant. I'm not trying to take anything away from him, but what makes Donald so special? And I'm, I just want to ask you from your experience with the line play: when a guy can do, he's basically affecting the quarterback from the middle, where everything is just right. as much as an edge rusher. How much easier does that make everybody else's job? Immensely. I mean, because like I said, I mean, he's getting other people's stats. 
because they have to account for where he is, especially being in the middle of the defense, because that's where you stop most guys. If you have a great edge rusher, but your interior linemen aren't getting up the field, quarterbacks can step up. If you're getting pressure up up the middle, up your face, (laughs) quarterbacks, they don't want to throw the ball going backwards. Yeah, And even your most average guy that rushes the edge can speed rush and just run around the hoop. And so you make those guys even better. Yeah. Um, and so that's why he's just such a, you know, a once in a lifetime transcending type player because of what he's able to do and do it getting double teamed. A lot of times he's doing that, getting all that pressure and he's double teamed. Somebody's chipping him, uh, you know, guard bumping him, center coming to him. And so he's just, you know, just a, a top end Hall of Fame caliber player as long as he continues to do what he does. Yeah, it's crazy. Anyways, great stuff as always on Twitter at the number two. The letter Z-S-A-N-D-O-C on Twitter. Follow us so you can get all of the information on podcasts. He's at One Man Gang 97 I'm at Zach Sports, Z-A-K Sports. And we're going to try to locate OC. He's at Real OC Sports. Zoe, appreciate it as always. I'll talk to you next week, Pippin. All right, brother. I get with you. Holla. Two Z's and OC. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey. Y'all know what it is. Hey. Two Z's and OC. Welcome to the break down. This is where the game found analytics first down. And a few inches. Your players on the benches. The coaches start to huddle when you need a thirst quencher. Oh, C throwing hands. One a million in the squad. Lorenzo hey. hit the league. 15 years on the job. Made the pro. Go nice, Zachariah on the fadeaway. Represent the day to day struggle and the grind. Keep that hustle on your mind. We balling on the court. Read the signs of our times, whether cultural or politic. Chopping up the lotto pit. Get it popping, partner, when we weaving in and out of it. It's on topic and sing. Tell you what we think. Let the thoughts link. Let the truth sing. Yeah, yeah. Let the thoughts link. Yeah. Where the game found analytics first down. First down.